0: Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look at the the title today, today's title of the sermon is Talk the Talk and Walk the Walk. And it's kind of a... a, a phrase you've probably heard at some point before in your life where you hear about somebody talking the talk, but do they walk the walk? And you've probably at some point in your life heard of people that exaggerate in one way or another. A couple of of instances that came to my mind when I was thinking of this is when I was younger in middle school, I I talked to a guy at school and he told me that at home they had a a $500,000 race car that they had. And I was like, really? I sure would love to see that. Well, I'm not allowed to show any pictures of it. And so, you know, it was just the story that was being told about that and then in college So it's understandable a little bit more. I think when you're in middle school I get to college and there's an individual I met and We were talking about golfing and how they like to golf and I like to golf, but I'm no good at golf Um And, and they were like, yeah, I really like to golf. I'm actually pretty good. I, I shoot about 18 under and I was like I'm like 18 holes. You shoot like 18 under it's like. Yeah, I was like What are you doing here? And why are you not making millions of dollars? Um, But of course, we never got to go golfing together, but um, I don't really believe that. Now, if they could walk the walk and back it up, that's very impressive. But that's this idea of when you say things, is what you say congruent with the way that you live? And I think that's a little bit of what we see in this passage as we get into it. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. So. I want you to remember, we're getting to the end of this book of Colossians. You're going to see some repeating themes, some repeating phrases that he uses. um, But also, just notice that we're getting toward the end. This is kind of final instructions before some final greetings. So, here's what he says, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison." that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech also always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. For this day that you give us this time that we can come together, Lord. And I pray that you will be with us. You will just convict each of us. You will show us how you would move within each of our lives. You would show us how we should pray, how we should talk to you, how we should should talk to others, how we should uh, live our lives and how we can honor you in that, Lord. I pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name, amen. So as we get to this idea of talking the talk and walking the walk, I hope you can see in this passage why we're doing this. The first thing is we see this idea of talking the talk. What should we be saying? What things should we be doing? What things should we say? The first thing that we should talk, the way we should talk, is that we talk to God through prayer. The first way we should talk is we talk to God through prayer. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian's relationship with God. You cannot follow Christ faithfully and leave prayer out of your life. I want you to see here, he says steadfastly, continue steadfastly in prayer. It is an essential component in what you're doing. To say that you want to follow God's will in your life, you want to follow him, but leaving prayer out is like saying you're going to bake an apple pie, but you're not going to have any apples in it. It's like saying you're going to go on a bike ride, but your bike doesn't have any wheels on it. These are th- you're going to go run a marathon, but you're not going to wear any shoes. These, this doesn't make sense. Prayer is an essential part of our relationship with God. And any great movement of God is going to begin with prayer. There are are so many sayings, so many things about this, how any revival of God starts in a prayer clause. It starts with people praying for God moving in their life, praying for God moving in the life of those around them. We see this in Jesus' life. Jesus prioritized prayer. When he had hundreds and thousands of people coming trying to hear him coming trying to to be healed what it what does the bible say that jesus did but he often withdrew by himself to secluded places and prayed to his father so jesus prioritized prayer in his life the disciples what were they doing on the day of pentecost they were in the upper room praying seeking god And Paul starts all of his letters and concludes many of them with a time of praying for those that he's writing his letters to. So we should be people who pray. So how do we pray? We pray, first he says, steadfastly. Now we saw through this past weekend, whether some things in our own house, in our our community, whether they were steadfast or not. The steadfast thing stood the test of time. I'll tell you one thing that's not steadfast at my house is our fence. Because where it's built, there's some water and it's washed away the bottom of that fence. It's rotted out. and It started to do a little leaning. if you look in my backyard right now, I have uh, a ratchet strap connected to a tree holding my fence up. You can tell I'm from Kentucky, right? That was what we would call some redneck solutions. Anyway, steadfast. It needs to be firmly rooted and planted. That means that when things happen, good things happen, what are you going to do? You're going to pray. When bad things happen, what are you going to do? You're going to pray. Prayer is an essential building block. It it cannot be removed. Some things in a recipe we talked about, you can substitute. You can take some things out, put other things in. I've shared this story before, but I found out the hard way that baking soda and baking powder are not interchangeable. Prayer is not interchangeable With other things in our life. Prayer cannot be interchangeable by you being smart enough. Prayer is not interchangeable by you working harder. You have to seek God if you want to have God move in your life and in the life of those around you. It's an essential thing. So we have to be steadfast. No matter the circumstances, whether difficult or good, we pray. So steadfastly, watchful in it. We have to be watchful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. What does that mean? Are you paying attention to what's happening around you? Are you looking and praying for the things that make sense to be praying for? What are the needs that are arising in your life and in the life of those around you? What are the threats that would come against you or those around you? Are you praying about those things? Be praying about relevant things because you are watching what needs to be prayed for with thanksgiving we have to always come to god in prayer from a place of thanksgiving being thankful for what he has done in our lives so that we can pray and and respond in the appropriate way and we see paul here make a specific request on how the colossians would be praying he says that he asked that they would pray at the same time for them So I think that's for Paul and those engaged in the gospel, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he's asking, please pray for me and pray for those who are in the gospel ministry. When you think about this right now, we are preparing for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And during this time, you can see in the foyer, there are some prayer guides on how to pray for this Easter offering because there are people... Right, We are engaged in the gospel ministry, so we should be praying for one another in that way, that we can all proclaim the gospel as we go. But we also pray for those that are in our nation and across the world who are going to places where Jesus is not known or, or Jesus is not worshipped, where there are people who do not follow him and seeking to make God known, that there would be doors that would be open to them, that they would be able to make the gospel clear as they go. So we should be praying for those who are engaged in the ministry of the gospel. And that includes ourselves, that we would be faithful in that, and for those of us in our church, that we would all be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. So the first way we talk is talking to God through prayer. I think the second thing that's evident in this is that we should be talking to people through sharing the gospel. What Paul is asking for is clarity in his presentation of what he says is the mystery of christ if you remember at the beginning of colossians this is how paul described the the gospel the mystery of god the mystery of god of salvation for jew and gentile alike in christ jesus that though people were sinful and deserving of punishment god through what jesus has done has made people able to be forgiven and declared righteous through what jesus has done this is the mystery of God. So he wants, to make it, he wants them to pray that it will be clear that when they present the mystery of God, it will be clear to those who hear. So the first thing is that we should be declaring the mystery of Christ. We should be declaring the gospel as we go. We should be pre- preaching and saying, listen, this is the good news of what Jesus has done for you. This is the good news of what Jesus has done for me, and the same thing can be done for you. We're all sinners separated from God, in need of salvation. You can't do enough good things. You can't work hard enough. You can't do anything to fix your own situation, but to trust in Jesus for his salvation. Salvation is through Jesus alone. I want, I want to share that gift with you. That's, the, that's what we should be proclaiming as we go through our lives. But the thing here, he says too, is that, they would, that he prays that they would make it clear. As we proclaim the gospel, we need to make it clear because the, it is, the gospel is simple and it doesn't need to be made more complicated than it ought to be when we pre- preach it to people. There's a few quotes I want to share with you. One's from Charles Hodge, a theologian. He says, the gospel is so simple that small children can understand it and it is so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. So saying that children can understand the gospel because it's so simple, but the smartest people will never Figure it all out. They'll never tire of looking at it and researching it. Another one from Pastor Tim Keller. The gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can wade, and yet an elephant can swim. It is both simple enough to tell a child and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. And I think the problem can occur within our lives or when we seek to proclaim the gospel to people. When we take those who've never waded into the the waters of the gospel who've never waded into this pool who have never heard these truths about god and we throw them into the deep end because I, i'll tell you i've been following god my entire I've, I've heard about god for my entire life I've been following since i was a child and, and i've been following very intensely for for quite a period of time as i could say as, as many of you would likely say as well and every day, every year, hopefully, there are new things that you, you see and you learn that move you, and you're like, wow, God is so great. You, don't, you never cease to be amazed by God and his goodness. Just when you think you've learned all there is to learn, there's more that you learn about who God is and how great his love for you is and all of the things that he's done for you. The problem we can run into sometimes is that if we make the gospel appear more complicated than it is, we, we aren't doing it any service. He says that he would explain the mystery of Christ, making it clear which is how I ought to speak. When we proclaim the gospel to people who are lost, they don't have to understand deep theological terms. They don't have to understand words that, that mean complicated things. Right? You don't have to use the words substitutionary atonement, penal substitutionary atonement, when you can say Jesus died for your sins. They mean the same thing. You can have deep theological terms that you can look at all the nuances on and, and debate on those things for years, and people have done it. There's lots of books that are this thick, all about that stuff. But you can go to people and say, listen, you have sin that separates you from God, but Jesus took the punishment. He paid the price so you could be made right with God. It's that simple. And so we must make sure that when we proclaim that truth to people who have never heard it, we keep it simple. And make it clear. Now, I want, I want to be clear about this. All Christians should seek to grow in their understanding. You cannot be content in the kiddie pool. That's where you start, at. it's what you hear. Jesus died for my sins. I believe it. But as you grow, you should be amazed by the things you know. Just about every person that i that has shared their life deep enough with me that I've, I've known. At some point in their life, they kind of have a crisis. I had this crisis in my life where I was like, was I truly saved? I understand so much more about God now than I did. Did I truly know him then? It's a question a lot of people encounter and they, they struggle with this. But just because you know more doesn't mean that you didn't know him then. But we all have to seek to grow deeper. Like, like we all know our ability to swim Right. If, if I were to ask you, hey, can you swim? You're going to know, yes or no. If I say, can you swim a mile? You're going to know, yes or no. I'll tell you, that was one of the most humbling things I ever did. I competed in a triathlon. And this was a, a kid's triathlon. I was like 13 years old. And, and the, the swim was only 100 meters. And I know if, if Tinny was here right now, she'd probably be laughing at me. But I got in that pool. I was like, I can swim. And I was gasping for air the entire, about halfway through, because I, I was not as good a swimmer as all of these people who were on a Bowling Green swim team. Now, when it came to the bike and the run, I did just fine. But I was not aware of my own abil- inability. We should be aware of our gospel fluency, how well we know God, and we should seek to progress in it. And we should seek to know others' levels of gospel fluency as well, so that we can make it clear to them. So we pray to God, we, we proclaim the gospel. It says also in this passage that our speech should be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does seasoned, seasoning do? What does salt do? It it brings out the good flavor of food. Okay? And so as we t- speak to other people, and in particular we get to this part, I think it's speaking um, with outsiders, as, but as well as people who are within the church body, we are to have gracious speech. Okay, so an example of this, um, Eliza, right? So she's, she's very picky when it comes to food. Um, luckily, a lot of the foods she likes are healthy foods. It's like mac and cheese, what she won't eat. But when we make her try something, will we, well, we don't make We try to get her to try something. Usually her first reaction when she eats the food she doesn't like is, Ugh, that's disgusting, I don't want that. That's, that's gross, well, of course, at home, it's one thing to say that, but you have to teach her, listen, when someone makes you food and you don't like that, you can't say, that's gross, that tastes nasty, that's rude, right? So what do you say instead? I don't prefer that. No, thank you, right? It's, that's graciousness in your speech. When, when someone does something, it, it's one thing to say, wow, you really are dumb, aren't you? That's not very gracious. When maybe that's what you're, <laughs> and we have to train ourselves not to think that way, but like, let's try it this way. Let, let's, see, let's see about this. Graciousness in your speech. Are you a person that when you speak to people, you're kind? Are you a person that when you speak to people, the words you say are going to leave them feeling encouraged and built up? Or are they going to feel torn down and walk away feeling like they're the worst person in the world? Those are obviously extremes but are you gracious in the way that you speak? Are you building people up? Are you a person that when people talk to you, they don't feel as though they're being attacked. They don't feel as though all of their insecurities are on full display. So we should be gracious in the way we speak to people, knowing how to answer all of the people. So when we have questions about, about what you believe, when people have questions about what you believe or how you live, you should be prepared to answer them. First Peter also says the same thing. I love it when Scripture, especially different people writing these letters, say essentially the same thing. First Peter 3, 15 through 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might, might be put to shame. Always be ready to give an answer. Always be ready to share the reason for your hope. So this comes through growth in our knowledge of God. We talked about we wade into this, this pool of the gospel. It's easy enough for children to wade in, but we can't stay there. We have to learn things about God so that when people ask us questions, we can share the truth about what we believe. And a lot of this, I will tell you, comes through seeking answers to your own questions. Because here's the deal if you are a person that f- is following Christ, if you are a person that, that says, I believe in Jesus, at some point in your life, you're going to read something in the Bible, you're going to hear something said in the world, and it's going to make you have a question. You're going to have a question about what it is that you believe or what it is these people are saying. It is not wrong to have a question. I think there are times where people might feel as though if I have a question about my faith, if I have a question about what I believe, then I'm not a good enough Christian. That if I just believed more, I would never have any questions about what I believe. That's not the truth. It is good to seek answers to your questions. Because when you seek answers to your questions and you find answers to your questions, guess what you can do? When someone comes to you and says, well, why does the Bible say this in this place? Well, you know what? I had that question too. And here's what I found. It's not wrong to ask questions just seek the answers to those questions in good places. Because let me tell you, just Googling a question will get you some very mixed results. I had a a friend of, of my sister that was asking her some questions and was convinced of something that is basically heretical because she wound up on a website of a group that I don't really consider to be a Christian group that was teaching the answer to some, to some biblical question. There are good places to look, but make sure you look in those places. And then you also need to anticipate questions and seek to have, find answers to those. You know how we're supposed to be watchful in prayer? If we're watchful in prayer, we see the things happening in the world around us, we're going to know the questions people might have. What are the things people are concerned with in the world around you? Because what they're concerned with, if you tell them about Jesus, that's what they're going to be asking questions about. So you've got to be prepared to answer those questions. If the world is concerned with A, B, and C, do not be surprised when they ask questions. Well, what does the gospel say about A, B, and C? Fill in the blank with whatever those things are. Be prepared to answer the things of those questions. And also be willing to say, I don't know. Saying, I don't know, is better than giving the wrong answer to someone or, being, or it being clear that you have no idea what you're talking about. So this is what it means to talk the talk. And as far as this passage goes, well, there are things we're supposed to say. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to proclaim the gospel, speak graciously, and be willing to answer questions. That's what we say. That's what we talk about. But Paul mentions that we should also be walking the walk. We should be walking the walk. He says first to walk wisely toward outsiders. Walk wisely toward outsiders. So you are a witness to Christ in everything that you do. Your actions proclaim to people what you believe. What you say, hopefully, is what you believe. If you proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is your Savior, hopefully that is true. That is true for you in your heart. But when you go out and you engage with people in the world, how you walk in front of people in the world will tell them what you believe. And so your actions should be congruent with your words. And we've all heard the quote, your, your life is the only Bible that some people may read. Hopefully for people that is not true, but it will certainly be something that is going to be a witness to them about the Bible that you claim to read. This is summed up beautifully in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We should live a life worthy of the calling that you have. Because you see, if if you were to go and you were to be praying for someone and and you go and you tell them about Jesus and then immediately they hear you speaking badly about someone, they hear you just using foul language and and saying foul things from your mouth, obscene things from your life mouth, those things that we talked about that we should put to death a few weeks ago, if they see those things that you're supposed to put to death in your life, the, the, the thing they're going to say is, why should I believe this? We're not really very different. In fact, I might think I'm better than you. We have to put those things to death, live a life that is worthy of the calling that we have, so that when we proclaim things, they see the evidence in our walk, you know, because if I'd went out with that person that, that told me they could shoot to 18 under and they shot 18 under. I'd be like, man, can I be your agent? We're going to get you some money. You're going to go some places. But when I go out there and they shoot five over. I'm not going to trust anything they say anymore. And so when you go proclaim Christ is good, but then you go and you live a way that that proclaims that Christ is not. Why are they going to listen to you anymore? We have to walk wisely in front of outsiders in particular, those who do not know Christ, so that they will see the truth of what we say in the way we live. Then we also, it says, should make the best use of time. Make the best use of time. So yesterday, this was something that um, I realized that I don't always do in my life in, in various ways, But so what does it mean to make the best use of time? So we went and went to a park yesterday. It was fun. And then we were coming home. We decided that, man, we need to get some projects done. We need to get some things cleaned around the house. And for some reason, I think this is is common from what I've understood in a lot of men, we don't always do the things that are the most pressing. And so when I start to do some cleaning and I was like, you know what? I need to take some things to Goodwill. I need to go uh, Eliza's bike tires. I need to go get some bike tires. And two and a half hours later, I come back and I realize I've only gotten one bike tire, not two, like I thought I did, and the whole day was gone. And I didn't get a lot of the things done that I should have gotten done. I didn't make the best use of my time in that situation. We have to understand the reality of Christ's imminent return. Christ is coming back. And the Bible says soon. We won't know the day or the hour think what Jesus says in Matthew twenty four forty five through 51 is a, is a really good example of how we should make the best use of time. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant who his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think this is a pretty dramatic example, right? Either you're serving faithfully and you're doing the right thing or you're like beating up all the people you work with and having a crazy part. Here's what I think maybe a modern retelling might sound like. Who then is the faithful child who when his parents when, when his parents asked to clean the house while they were out of town Blessed is the child whose parents come home to find the house cleaned Truly I say to you they will be blessed But if the wicked child says to himself my parents are delayed and begins to throw a raging party and destroy the house The parents will come home when they do not expect and they'll be grounded for all eternity in that place There will be no friends and no phones I think this is a modern in your chuckling because I think that's kind of how people would have heard that. Like, why would anybody do that? If you know they're coming back, you're not going to do something crazy. But how many uh, how many movies or, or things have had plot lines like that? Where like, oh, the parents are gone. I'm going to do what I want. Do you realize that when we prioritize things other than faithfully following God, that is how silly we look. Oh, you know, Jesus is a way. Maybe we can go do these things. We can make a lot of money. We can live a really lavish lifestyle. We can do what we want. I can focus on these things. I know it's kind of wrong, but Jesus will forgive me. That's, that's exactly how silly we look. We look as silly as a child throwing a party while their parents are out of town because they think they can get away with it without getting caught. And there's been times where I think that this phrase has been misused and cut tried to be used to invoke a, a high level of shame, but it should invoke shame within us. Is that really what you want to be doing when Christ comes back? And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your worst moments over this past week. You don't have to say them out loud. I want you to think about them. Your worst moments over this past week. And I want you to think about, is that what you want to be doing when Christ comes back? Maybe it's a moment where your anger got the best of you. Maybe it's a moment where you were struggling with some sin. Maybe it's whatever it is. Is that what you want to be doing when Christ comes back? And, and if you're honest with yourself, that should invoke some shame within you. There, should be time, there, there will be times because you're not going to be perfect. But there's going to be times when you realize, man, I kind of am glad that Christ didn't pick that moment to come back because I'd realize how silly I was being. I'd realize how silly those things I was prioritizing were. I would realize how I wasn't following him like I'm supposed to be following him. But I don't tell you this just to make you feel shame, because here's the thing. Shame should produce repentance within us. The Bible says that godly grief produces repentance. So that when you hear scripture, when you see things that are sinful in your life and you feel bad about it, it doesn't make you just feel bad for the sake of feeling bad, but so that you will turn toward God. The whole truth of the gospel is that you are sinful. There are things that you should be ashamed about, but Christ loved you anyway and died for you anyway. And so as we follow him, the truth is is you're gonna make mistakes, but as you identify those mistakes... You turn from them and follow Christ faithfully. Godly guilt produces repentance. But it isn't just about walking the walk either. The truth about this whole passage is that we have to talk the talk and walk the walk. It is so important that we have both of these things present in our life. You can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. Talking the talk without walking the walk is hypocrisy which many people that would say they're not a Christian that don't believe in Christ would say that hypocrites are the reason they don't believe. What is a hypocrite? It's someone who says one thing but doesn't do it. They say they believe this. They say they believe in Christ. They say they, that he is the most important thing in their life, but everything in their life says otherwise. If you talk the talk but you don't walk the walk, you're a hypocrite. And we're all hypocrites because we're all sinners saved by grace, but we should seek to be as little of hypocrites as we can proclaiming God with your lips and denying him with the way that you live is a terrible way to live. But you also can't just walk the walk. You have to talk the talk. If you just try to follow what God says and and, and live your life in a way that is obedient to him, but you never talk about it, you don't pray, that's universalism. That is practice universalism. That's saying that I can live my life. I believe in God. I'm going to follow him. But you don't have to believe that. You I'm not going to tell you about it because it's not that big a deal. That's universalism. It's saying that what I believe is fine for me, what you believe is fine for you. No, the Bible is very clear that there is one way of salvation. That is through faith in Christ Jesus. And so if you live a good life, but don't ever proclaim the reason for that good life to the world, you're acting as though it doesn't matter what people believe or what you believe. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words is a terrible way to live. Preach the gospel at all times and also use words whenever you can. You should talk the talk and walk the walk. And so this morning, I want to ask you, where are you in this process? Are you talking the talk? Are you praying to God steadfastly, watchfully in thanksgiving, asking God to intervene in your life and in the life of others? Are you praying to him? regularly are you seeking him in a way that is desperate for him to move in your life in the life of your friends and your family and in the life of our church and, and in this world are you praying to him are you sharing the gospel are you talking to people about the hope that you have are you telling people hey i need to know, i need you to know about what i know i need you to know about this truth that I have. I need you to know about this hope that I have because it'll change your life. Are you speaking in ways that are seasoned with salt? When people talk to you, are you encouraging? Are you uplifting? Or are you very harsh and direct and blunt? Christians cannot say, well, I just don't have a filter. The Bible literally tells you right here, you need to filter what you say and make sure that it comes across in a way that is gracious and seasoned with salt. Are you ready to give an answer? Are you a person that's willing to explain what you believe, to help other people to know the answers to the questions they might have? So not only are you talking the talk, are you walking the walk? Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Are you making the best use of time? Now, that doesn't mean that you're only going to, you're going to shut yourself away and pray 24 hours a day. And then anytime you're not praying, you're going to be out proclaiming the gospel. Obviously, there are things that you're going to have that are responsibilities and roles that God has given you in your life. But are you doing those things in a way that honors God? Are you doing things? Are you living your life in a way that makes the best use of time? On that note, I want to encourage you not to put off till tomorrow, what God would be calling you to do today. Have you been saved? Have you believed in this mystery of Christ, this idea that you are a sinner that needs salvation, that is available through what Jesus has done alone? We can't work hard enough. We can't do enough good things. Jesus is the one who saves us by what he has done on the cross. And through that, we can be made right with him. Have you followed in obedience in baptism as an example to what he has done in your life as, as the symbol of, of dying to your old way and being raised to new life. Are you faithfully engaged in a body of believers? Have you joined, are you joined into a church body? Are you needing prayer this morning? Are you needing to pray this morning? Let me explain that this time of invitation is a time for you to respond to what God is doing in your life. And you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything to respond to that. But when I always say the altar is open, it's a place where you can pray. Why would you do that? So people can pray with you? So that people might know that maybe you're in need of prayer or they can partner with you in prayer? Why am I down front? So you can ask questions. You can ask for prayer for specific needs. And if you're a person that says, I want to be saved, I can talk to you about that. If you're a person that says, I want to be baptized, I can talk to you about that. If you're a person that says, I want to join the church, this is a time you can do that. This is a time for you to move in God's life. But here's the thing. You can pray right where you're at. You can seek God right where you're at. You can pray with others right where you're at. But don't put off what God would have you do in your life until a later time. Be faithful to him when you know what he wants you to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together. And God, I pray that as, as we look at each of our own lives individually, Lord, you would help convict us in our lives of the things that we ought to do to be obedient to you. How we ought to seek you in prayer, how we ought to speak, how, to, how we should proclaim the gospel, that you would just work with our lives and convict us and show us how we can do it, that we would rely on you for those things. God, I pray you would show us how to live, that we would be a good example of what it means to follow you, that, that un- unbelievers would look at our life and they would see you. And Lord, that we would be wise in how we use our time and that we wouldn't waste time. God, I pray that if anyone has anything that you're calling them to do this morning, that you you would convict them to do it. That we wouldn't be afraid of what people might think. We wouldn't let our own insecurities or anxieties stop us, but we would follow you faithfully with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.